you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. I'm Moses Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. There you go. When the Iron Lady starts singing it, that means the show is officially on, as always. For 15 years, folks, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you the smartest people, the CEOs, the billionaires, the White House advisors, the Pulitzer Prize winners, all of the most brilliant minds who have spent a lifetime, who have spent hundreds or hundreds of thousands or or uh, maybe multiple lifetimes depending upon who you talk to and what they believe in <laughs> uh learning their craft learning their trade going through their cathartic things and as i always say on the show stories are the owner's manual to life and us sharing stories is how we learn from each other how we improve ourselves how we make ourselves better or you know sometimes we just do it for entertainment that's what movies and tv and books are for as well but it's more important if you learn something so uh, as we always set this up for the guilt and shaming plug part of the show, uh, use that knowledge to go enhance the intelligence of your friends, neighbors, relatives for the show. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, Chris Foss, one on the tickety talkity, and uh, Chris Foss, Facebook.com. We have another amazing uh, young lady on the show. She's here to talk about one of my favorite topics leadership and leading. I love leadership and leading. I wrote a book about it. Uh, so there you go. Uh, we have Ulrike Seminati in the show with us today. She's going to be talking to us about how she coaches and helps people in uh, becoming better leaders and improving the quality of their lives as well. And she's here to improve yours. Uh, she is a globally operating coach, trainer, and consultant. She brings a wealth of experience as a former C-level executive to her expertise in authentic leadership and impactful communication. By blending the latest self-development methodologies with her extensive practical experience in leading across all levels of hierarchy, she enables leaders to master how to bring change-resistant people on board by harnessing their strengths instead of diminishing their motivation. I should probably start doing that. I should quit diminishing their motivation and throwing them outside, out of second-story windows. Uh, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> there you go. Thanks for coming. Give us your dot-coms. Where do you want people to uh, find you on the interwebs? It's very simple or very complicated. It's my name, ulrikaseminati.com. Uh, it's the most important place. And you can also find me with my name, Ulrika Seminati, at LinkedIn. And that's the best place to go to get in contact there. with me. And the link will be on the Chris Voss Show as well. So give us a 30,000 overview in your words of what you do and how you do it. Well, I'm helping leaders to bring others on board in a simple way. I help them to bring more humanity to the workplace as well, because I think leaders have unlearned to lead human beings because they lead tasks. They lead for results. <laughs> and I think there's something really, really important missing there. Everybody's longing for that. And yet so many people struggle to implement it. And that's a bit my mission. And this is why I help leaders to communicate better, to lead with authenticity. And also, and I have a great focus on that one, how they lead people and really people, not projects, through change. Because oh. I think that's what's going on out there all the time, everywhere. 
So let's expand on that. Leading through change. Uh, that's that's the, it's, it, the changes that we've seen over the last, what, three or four years now? It's been going on for quite some time. Uh, have been uh, mountainous, I suppose. I don't know. We're just going to run with that today. Um, they've been uh, just extraordinary, uh, you know, between the pandemic, between changing uh, uh, people's buyer stuff. I mean, we just saw the recent Black Friday of 2023, and it appears we've totally switched over to online buying because almost no one was at the stores all those videos you used to watch of people crashing down you know walmart stores and fist fighting with each other are are, are sadly uh gone <laughs> and then you've got uh you know uh it looks like a lot of uh, restaurants uh you know people aren't dining in anymore you know it, it seems like they've really settled into ordering stuff everything i I rarely go to Walmart or the store for anything anymore. I go to local farm and that's about it and everything else gets delivered. So we've seen a lot of consumer changes and stuff and then a lot of business changes where, you know, no one's going to the office, people working remotely. So uh, let's talk about some ways people can lead through change. Mm. Well, I think the problematic that we have today is that with every change which we encounter, we don't know what outcome we really want to achieve or we, we get to achieve at a certain point. You know, like 15, 20 years ago, you had a change project in a corporation. There was a beginning, there was a supposed end. Maybe it was running late, but somehow there was a plan. And today it's like we have to change so many things without even knowing if we ever end this change. And this is very overwhelming for people. And so I think what is what is super important and what is often overseen when it comes to managing change, it's not about the processes and having a strict milestones plan where people can stick to. It's really about really seriously putting a lot of energy, much more than into building the famous milestone plan, into thinking, who have I in my team and how can I help them to go through that change? Mm -hmm. Because they're not all agile. They don't have all a growth mindset. They will not embrace that change just because they're paid for that. And people don't do that. They invest a lot of time into the processes and everything that seems to be more tangible. And let aside a bit this human aspect where I think that is the key to making change happen in a way where people do not run into burnout, getting to the hamster wheel, being super stressed, you know, all of that. So I think it's very important to, to shift, to shift actually the priorities there. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people, they find, I forget what the, uh, I was listening to a podcast recently and, and they were talking about how people, usually don't adapt to change because, you know, it, like you mentioned, their feelings, you know, it, it's, it's much more stressful. You know, it's, it's a whole lot nicer if you just run the hamster wheel that you're used to, you know, you're, you can confidently do it. You can, you can feel pretty secure in, in your world, but once you start embracing change and everything, you know, it's the, the great factors of the unknowns come out. And uh, sometimes those aren't fun. Sometimes they're, you don't know how to handle them because you don't maybe have some experience in that sort of wheelhouse. But, but those are the things you have to adapt to the most because whether you like it or not, I used to tell people, and I kind of adopted this theory when I was young uh, and starting my first businesses, where if you don't change, if you don't adopt, the world will make you change. The universe is a survival game. And so it will kick in your door and go, well, are you resistance to change? Is that what's going on here? Oh, I got some change for you, baby. Yeah, here you go. Here you go. Have fun with that one. And you're just like, damn it. I was hiding so well from that change monster. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your uh, upbringing and your uh, work history and your career. What, what brought you down to where you, you coach and help people now directly? 
Well, I have been a corporate communications leader for 23 years. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, in corporate communications, I, I was climbing up the whole career ladder. I ended up as a C-level executive for three years. And I've seen the different levels of, of hierarchy as well. But what I've seen most is that you can have the biggest budgets ever. You can run the, the best campaigns in the world and the most awarded ones. I got an award also for one mm -hmm. in 2013, a while ago, big global award. But... But it will never, never, never land if the leaders, the human beings who speak to other human beings in the company do not convey the message, not only with the head, but with the heart. Mm. And that is what is not done in communication campaigns. You know, it's all like we, we plan it from the top. There are key messages and, and people are supposed to repeat these key messages. Leaders are supposed to have an FAQ and to use that. And I think that's fundamentally wrong. And this is where my, my whole thinking came from. And I, I thought I have to step out of this corporate world because experts from the outside are usually much more listened than the experts in organizations have on the inside. <laughs> Sadly enough. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> Yeah, a lot of a lot of leaders think that, uh, and and tops of organizations think that all you gotta do is make a PR statement to be good leaders. And you're just like, hey, we're a great company, and we got good morals, and we got good stuff, and people like us. You know, it's like that SNL bit, uh, and people like us. Um, and then they walk a totally different talk that they do morally, ethically, how they run the company, uh, and. Uh, and, and their employees and everybody else just goes, hey, look at that guy. He's full of shit, you know, and uh, and then, you know, you lose all your power as a leader. So what is the secret to being bringing change resistant people, people in your companies, uh, people maybe you have in your personal relationships, et cetera, et cetera, uh, getting them to get on board for organizational transformation projects? In very simple words, you have to change your dictionary. Mm. <laughs> very simple to change your dictionary oh just order a different one off amazon there yeah so actually you know usually usually when change let's stick through the corporate world when change is communicated it's coming from the top it's coming from a personality style most likely who has interest in growth in bottom line figures in performance in success in all of these words mm -hmm. because that's what they embrace many leaders the higher they're up in the hierarchy the more likely it is that they have this this personality trait simply where they adhere to these words they love them they love them with their heart yeah that's mm -hmm. compelling to them but if you go further down in the organization and already the first senior management level below the C-level, for example, is very, very different from the C-level usually. And there you find an average of 70% of people who resist change. 70%. 70%. <laughs> Holy 70%. Yeah. Across the whole global, yeah, <laughs> global world population, it seems 70% of us are wired to really stick to safety, security and stability. And we really stick to that. And it means we will never really embrace change with our heart. We will never become these agile guys who love growth just because our organization wants that. They will never be that. Wow. And what I think we need really to change is that we do not see these guys as being boring or hindering the change and you know, being kind of yeah, distracting from what we want to achieve here. Mm. but rather use their strengths. And I think this is a fundamental shift in how we see people who resist change. Mm -hmm. Because at the end, those who make it happen, those who really go for it until the very end to 
to carry it through, even if it takes two or three years, mm. are exactly these people, the change-resistant people, not the ones who come up with the great ideas at the beginning, because they will already be on another idea or on 10 other ideas by then. But you need stable people for that, the reliable ones. And I think this is a difference, to see them as an asset in change and not seeing them as an obstacle so that people do not feel like I'm not appropriate anymore these days, you know, feel like I'm like outdated to some way. And I think that's an important change to make. I think more and more we're realizing that people are important. And if people don't realize, leaders don't realize, and companies don't realize how important people are, they certainly aren't being taught a lesson in it now. Uh, I think you're over in Switzerland in Europe, correct? Yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, I don't know what's, I don't know what your guys' job market is over there, but over here in America, uh, you're, you're probably aware of this too. Um, the, 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 the shift is totally flipped to employees at having power of qu quitting their jobs, going to other places, making more money someplace else. The competition for employees has gone totally through the roof. Part of it is because the boomers and some Gen Xers retired early, uh, with, with the COVID crisis. And so by doing so, we actually have a lack, a severe lack of, of uh, employees. That's why you've seen us when weathering the recessionary storm of COVID fairly well with a high unemployment rate, even though the Fed has you know, jacked up the interest rates. And it's going to be with us for a long time. In fact, uh, I think I was reading that um, for every seven boomers and people that have you know, a lifetime of experience in trade that are retiring, there's only one person to replace them and that person is a beginner or a novice and so you have like not only a lot of you know seven to one and sort of employees leaving the job market you have seven employees that are masters of their trade over a lifetime and you're you're left with uh some new guy who doesn't know how anything works basically and so i don't know if that's going on in europe but that's what's going on over here and so you know we're seeing the empowerment of unions and everything else and so if you're not taking care of your people they're going to go someplace else at this point because they can easily here in our market yeah you have the same situation it depends on the country in switzerland is the same they always mm. were lacking they always were lacking people actually it's a small country with a lot mm. of industry mm. so that's a bit different if you look into other markets it's uh, not like it's spain or italy for example it's a bit different because the unemployment rate was much much higher so mm. they're just catching up slower on this on this tendency actually it's the same trend and we have exactly the same and i think that hasn't landed yet in the heads it starts to be felt because yes companies as soon as they need to hire someone it's very difficult to find somebody mm. and it's very very difficult to find somebody who has the right qualifications and to keep the people you know all of that but all of that was not necessary for a long time and many leaders out there who are leaders for 20 or 30 years they have lived if they have 30 years of career, they have lived 20 years where this was never an issue. No, mm -hmm. but it was the other way around. And so they're used to this way of thinking that if people are paid for their job, they must be motivated. <laughs> <laughs> what an illusion. What, what do you think? Seriously? We give them paychecks. <laughs> damn it. What more do they want? Uh, pizzas? They'll throw a pizza party. It's an old <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it, and it, and, you know, it, it kind of gives me an epiphany. It hits me here that to realize that, um, well, well, companies need to realize what's going on with the employment situation. They also need to realize from the paradigm I gave earlier that they need to develop these employees more. Um, and that just searching for employees or trying to fight over employees that, you know, are older that have experience, well, they're great to have because I'm one. 
the um, you know the the competition. You know, you need to start investing in your future, and so you're going to have to retrain all these new employees that are coming up. And Gen Zers uh, are spectacularly more interested in uh, life fulfillment jobs, or jobs that where they feel better about them, and they want um, they want to feel like they're making a difference in the world, and they want that right away, as opposed to someone who you know, I, at 55, I feel like I'm making a difference in the world with the work I'm doing, or I hope I am. Um, you know, and it, it gives me something meaningful to give back. But, you know, there, when I was young, I didn't really care. I'm just like, I'm trying to make a buck and scratch, you know, scratch around here and get things to work uh, or figure all this stuff out. Uh, and, but they're, they're more into that. And so, you know, now we see, especially here in America, we see people hopping jobs, uh, you know, I went into one of my favorite restaurants the other night and they, they, they told me that they started, uh, doing table service where, or they don't do table service anymore, where they don't have waiters. They just have someone who brings your food when you order with a little sign at the cheap restaurants. And I'm like, why, uh, how am I paying luxury fine dining prices for this? But they, they had, had to convert to it because they couldn't get enough waiters to serve. And so they were kind of forced to as a business, which kind of sucked in my opinion, but uh, that's the way it is. I've, I've actually gone to restaurants in my area that they actually have a sign on the door. They're offering a hundred dollar gift certificate or hundred dollar, you know, certificate at their restaurant. Uh, if you refer employees to them to work the restaurant, I'm like, wow, that's novel. I can probably, maybe I can go make more money just out hustling. <laughs> people to hire for employees but that's how tight our job market is out here it's it's mm -hmm. freaking crazy and i think companies need to learn that they're gonna have to start uh you know figuring people out better and uh and uh educating people training them more but also being better at leadership i think there's a lot of one-size-fits-all approach still and that's the problem because we think yeah okay there's a specific training people adhere to that or you know the idea of for example leadership behaviors big corporations have leadership behaviors there's a list of mm -hmm. five to ten behaviors that mm -hmm. are the desired behaviors yeah mm -hmm. i have rolled out many leadership behavior programs yeah, in my yeah. corporate life it, it's it's logical that because they want to have a specific culture for sure but at the same time, how can you expect that people with very different personality styles apply the same behaviors? Mm. Or how can you aim for diversity? I mean, there are now departments who are called uh, diversity and inclusion, yeah, departments for that. And at the same time, you say, hey, we have seven leadership behaviors. We want all our leaders to behave like that. I mean, it's totally contradictory. <laughs> and it doesn't, I mean, like, it's just thinking about it doesn't make sense. And I think that's a problem. People feel like I have to play a role. I have to embrace these roles. I have to be like that. If I'm not like that, I'm not valued. And then they start being someone else. And then you mm. have a lot of fake leaders out there who feel very un unhealthy in their skin because it's unhealthy to be someone else. And they don't go in with their full energy, not with their conviction, not with the full self-confidence either because mm -hmm. If you do that, you tell your subconscious all the time, I'm not good enough, as I am in reality. <laughs> and I think that is a problem. We we should just open much more up. Organizations should open up much more to, to real diversity. means people are different. And they come with a different motivation. They come with different fears when it comes to change. They come with fears. At that alone, allowing for that thought, people have fears when it comes to change. And they are allowed to have fears because you cannot forbid them to have them. They will still have them. So if you don't let it 
come to the surface, speak about it, create a more human approach to that. Well, everything is happening under the surface. Underlying fears are there and they're cooking up. And at some point, people just leave the company in the worst case or they don't, they don't work properly. They, they just don't look into details anymore, don't care anymore. All of that is happening then. And I think it creates such a, such a huge feeling of not being well. Mm-hmm. Whereas we could have a different kind of corporate work life out there. And everybody I speak to says, I, I, it, things need to change. I want it to change. We want it to change. But how do we do that? <laughs> so there I think there's a, yeah, there's a lot happening in the minds of people that they need to just shift really the perspective on how we see these things. Going more for individual freedom of expression, I would say instead of trying to create this famous corporate culture that has to be like that. Because yes, culture, it's a strategy for breakfast. We all know that sentence. And it's true. But if mm-hmm. the culture is fake, then there is no real culture. You know, then then it's that's a culture on paper. You have a lot of fantastic posters on the wall with your values <laughs> and all of that. But <laughs> all those motivational yeah, posters. From the yes, it must work. I mean, as I said, I have done this, this is why I'm coming to that, because I've done this my whole corporate career through for, for two decades. And it's nice, but it does not work. It it feels like, you know, an alibi uh, event, which we do here, but nothing that is really truthful or, or making sense. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I I see the leadership by Fiat through PR so many times, where people you know they put out these PR statements and they're all they're all filled with uh, corporate buzzwords words that you sit and you go, what the hell did they actually say exactly? I mean, I feel like I feel like uh, I you know I feel like something happened, but I don't know what it is, and maybe they don't either. Uh, you know, it's. It's interesting to me how people lead, but you bring up a good point. You need to have an organization that's adaptive to change. Um, I remember when I was coming up through uh, practicing to be a CEO, I read The Fifth Discipline by Peter Singe, and it made me want to create a learning organization, have a culture of a learning organization, and trying to get people to ask questions and facilitating the type of culture that, you know, one of the sayings around our office was the only dumb question is the unasked question. Uh, so please ask questions because the usually the person who hadn't who'd slept through training or somehow hadn't gotten some different aspects of training uh, was the person who would break the thirty thousand dollar machine and cost me thirty grand. Uh, and they, you know you're like, didn't you learn in training not to throw that switch? Uh, and they're like, uh, I think I missed a few things. Well, why didn't you ask if you didn't understand? Uh, I was afraid that I'd be criticized. And there's a lot of that goes on in corporations. Uh, talk to us about uh, one of the things you talk about is the uh, art of persuasion and mastering it. I imagine persuasion is one of those things people need if you're going to create that learning organization and help people embrace change. Mm-hmm. So persuasion all has to do with emotions. We don't take any action without emotion, not even the simplest action we take without emotion. So let alone the bigger, the bigger actions we ask from people. So you need to understand what are the motivations, the intrinsic motivations of the people in my team or the people I want to persuade of something. And we all usually think that what we believe is attractive in this project, for example, in this mm-hmm. goal, that's logically attractive to the others. And when we speak to others and we try to persuade, what we usually do is that we customize our message absolutely perfectly to the only person on this planet who will never get it, and that's ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you need a book editor to edit yeah. your 
edit your own stuff so they can yeah. speak in your voice but then they can also go hey no one else is gonna get this but you man the way you wrote this so there you go i mean i've, I've seen that movie <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what we do. It, it, it's natural, obviously. It's natural. Yeah. But when you really want to persuade, you have to think completely out of the box. Mm. And there are many profiles who might be at the opposite end of what you think is attractive. So when you come, if I speak from a typical leadership perspective and use the words that I said before, a leader might say, oh, we can be super successful here. We can outperform the competition. Wow. Okay. And you say that to a person who is very strongly in the area of I need stability. I need the people around me. I want to keep my team. I want to make sure that the people I work with stay the same, for example. Then they will just freak out with these words. Because they will make an interpretation of, whoa, 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 danger, right? Lamps are going on all over the place, yeah? Because they think, my God, my team will be destroyed. Things will change rapidly. We have no control over anything anymore if we do that. And they hate it. Mm -hmm. Whereas you could just change the dictionary. You need to think, what is motivating the person in front of me? If it's mm -hmm. a person who needs stability instead of speaking about outperformance or success, you might want to say, if we do that project, then we can, on the long run, create more business continuity. This might help us to stabilize some of the jobs here so that we do not have to, to turn everything upside down. So you can try to come with something where you think this creates some stability. And when it's about persuading people, good is always, I mean, obviously, that they have something that they can contribute, yeah, something where they can have the feeling that they do something about it themselves. Mm. And when you have somebody who's change resistant, for example, instead of persuading them with again and again, emphasizing the same arguments, which they are not at all receptive for, like, yeah, growth, success, outperforming, competition, all of these words, yeah? Don't use these words anymore at all. Rather ask them and say, hey, I know for you, you hate the fact that we have to change again. You hate the fact that we we, we have to, to, to behave differently with different processes. And I know it's the 10th time this year. Okay. I understand that. <laughs> and That's instead insane. of that, ask them, you know, okay, it is unstable for sure, but you are a specialist in making things reliable. You are a wonderful planner. You are very analytical. You see the details. Can you help us? to make this process as stable and smooth as possible so that it's less painful for you and your colleagues. And then it's a different way of thinking. Mm. For change-resistant people, they feel like, oh, I get back some control, obviously. I mean, they feel like, well, well, well I get some control back. That's good. Yeah, mm. that's good. I can do something to make it a bit less painful. That's good as well. I can maybe watch out for something that makes it less shaky than it would have been if I, me, the expert of not of stability, yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> if I was not involved. And that is a different way of how you can persuade people. Give them something that relates to their strengths, not something that you think is absolutely useful. You, from your perspective, might not think that this is useful at all because you don't need it. You don't need maybe that stability. But mm -hmm. the other person needs it. And that's their strength. So building on that and giving them the chance to live their strengths, even if it feels at the first sight very contradictory, how can somebody where the strength is stability and, and, and being a good planner, how mm. does this fit to something where everything will be unplanned and chaotic and changing? And yeah, So it, it seems counterintuitive, but I think there's where the secret lies. Bring people in 
by helping them to live their strengths, even if they don't look like fitting in at the first place. And you will see by doing this with different, very different profiles, you will have a wonderful diversity. And this is finally where this project will become very rich and maybe something completely different than you planned in the beginning, but maybe something that is much more sustainable at the end. And I think this is a way of how we can manage change differently. Definitely. I mean, it, you've got to have a, a um, you got to have a living, breathing organization that can adapt and adopt because if you aren't, your competitors are. And as you mentioned earlier in the show, it, well, you're trying to answer, you know, one question to get down the road of change. They're, they're on the 10th question. So they're definitely way ahead of you. And in a world today with AI and, and everything moving, whipping fast, you, you've got to, you've got to be able to embrace change. Um, and so, uh, uh, what, what, what's a way that leaders can shift to communicating in a way that builds trust and gets people to buy in? What are some ways that they can do that? I think the most important thing is that, first of all, they become clear about their own motivations. Because mm. we build trust only when we are authentic. Mm. And when we are continually authentic, because as soon as we aren't anymore, then this mm. thing is broken. Yeah? Because people say, huh, it's different than yesterday or last week. Strange. Don't trust them anymore. Yeah? Yeah. So we need to have this continuity. And the best thing is to be authentic, because when you are continuously authentic, you are yourself. So there's some continuity in that. But I know it's very, very different. And what I realized that many leaders, there's so much thinking. I call, I call it that two dimensions, the I dimension and the we dimension. And most leaders think permanently in the we dimension. We have to do this. We, our team, we have to do this. And when I work with leaders on the I dimension, they immediately switch into the we and me and my team thing. And I think, mm -hmm. stop, take a bit of time for yourself. And first of all, become clear about your own motivations. Because if you're not clear about why you want to achieve that goal. And it's certainly not the reason that is given to you by your organization. It's something mm -hmm. completely different, maybe. Yeah. And to be really clear about why you want to achieve that and why you can put some heart in it, even in a project or a change that you do not like at all, you need to find a why for yourself. Only then you can become convincing and you can build that trust because you speak out from an authentic place to your people. And that is totally different than just repeating the FAQ which you got from the top or just repeating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote yeah. a lot of FAQs. It's a stupid thing. I mean, it, at the same time, people need something. Yeah. Yeah, you got to read some. But if they don't reflect on it and make it their own, you know, and pick and choose what suits to them, then it's not authentic and then it doesn't make sense. And then people mistrust immediately because mm. they feel that. We all see it immediately when somebody is making something up. We see it in the face. We see it in the micro mimics. You can be the best actor ever. People feel something's not quite congruent here. So I don't trust. It's not mm. credible to me. And that is something where people need to be much bolder oftentimes because the true authentically that they have somewhere inside of them mm -hmm. is maybe not the ideal version of what they think they should be or what the organization thinks they should be. And if you then need to be a bit different or very, very different, even then you need a lot of courage to be yourself oh, yeah. in organizations where we were so much used to have a specific leader persona in mind, you know, a specific, specific characteristics, for example, which are still out there. When people speak about a leader, they see certain characteristics immediately all around the planet. It's like that. And 
it, it must shift to something that is much more differentiated because only then when people start being different as a leader, but still be a leader, <laughs> then we have a much broader picture of that. And then it's easier to open up for that as well and to, to live these behaviors. But I think some are real pioneers in being very, very different from what we were used to. And mm -hmm. I love that. I think it's bold. I think it's great. And it's authentic. And their people love these leaders because they feel oh, a real human being <laughs> mm -hmm. with real, you know, with their vulnerabilities and their strengths and everything is there. And I can feel the whole and not just the, the glossy surface that is shown most of the times. There you go. I, you know, the difference between, you know, I, I think uh, there was a leader uh, of, I think, believe it was T-Mobile for a lot of years. And I forget his name. We used to chat on uh, Clubhouse back in the day. I think it was John something. But uh, he was a dynamic leader of T-Mobile. And he came in and, and he, you know, he would dress down and he would interact and he would do fun things with his employees. You would see him constantly going around and doing fun stuff and, and, and all of that. Uh, and I was really impressed with it because he, he really seemed like the great cheerleader of, of his company. And he, wherever he went, he was, you know, engaging with employees and, and not putting on, like you said, that veneer of, of where people feel there's a kind of a sob between you and employee. What, what you touched on my question that I was going to do next, the, what is authenticity, authenticity and leading with authenticity, uh, being an authentic leader. Uh, uh, well, that's my final question. What, what is, uh, how do we, what does authenticity mean? Authenticity mean, I don't know what's going on. It's Monday. Uh, what, how do we lead with authenticity and how do we be an authentic leader? Become clear about your motivations and your yeah. weaknesses as well. Your strengths. It's very, it's very classic strengths, weaknesses, but be aware and first of all, start, start being honest with yourself. We are very mm. unhonest with ourselves usually. You know, we try to make things prettier or the other way around. We are super, super critical. But try to be honest to yourself and to find out who you really are and also what kind of leader you want to be. I mean, there's also this, mm. this, yeah, this dimension of who do I want to be actually because it's this your personal growth which you have in mind then as well. And be very clear on that dimension and look at your organization. Look at these behaviors that are out there. Look at the values that this company has, for example, and they want you to embrace it. They want you to role model that. But be very clear and make like a self-analysis. What does that mean to me? I mean, if there are four values, for example, what are my values? Are you aware of your values? If there are values you need to embrace, you first of all need to know your own values, for example. And then you see, is there an overlap? Where is the authentic overlap? What does this mean in terms of true situations, exact behaviors, real actions, you know, make it tangible, bring it to your workplace. What does this mean in terms of behavior for me personally? How I can be authentic while my values are somehow not the same, but fit to one or two of the company values, maybe not to all of them, or the famous leadership behaviors, or what you think your boss expects from you, whereas how you would feel how you want to behave, how you want to deal with your people. Is there an overlap? And how does this look like in concrete situations, in one-on-ones, in team meetings? You know, bring it really to your workplace. But you need to really take a step back and look at yourself first. Who am I? 
What are my motivations? What are my values? Like I said, what are my strengths? What are also my weaknesses? And how can these weaknesses even help to create more connection with people? Because the perfect leader who stands on a stage and who is always the perfect speaker and has the perfect ideas, this person is not tangible to anyone. So, you know, so, I mean, the higher you're up in a hierarchy, the more powerful it is to admit sometimes that you're not perfect, that you don't know it all, that you have slept not well this night because you were nervous to come on that stage, for example. Give, give away some of your humanity, show it, and be very clear what is it in you. You know, what, what do you also want to show? Obviously, you can make a selection. That's not a problem. But be very clear about, okay, that's who I am. And then I would just say many people are very disconnected from what they feel in their body when it comes to being authentic. They think it's all happening in the head mm. uh, because we are these rational human beings kind of thing. You know, we think we have control. Illu total illusion as well. Anyway. <laughs> Wait, what? Like, what? <laughs> Our head? So it's like, listen to your body. You know, when you do not have a good feeling in your belly and we have that, I don't know how many times throughout the day suddenly. And usually we go over it to the next thing and we just don't pay attention mm -hmm. but pay a bit of attention when you don't feel well in your belly most likely you have done something that was inauthentic or going against what you actually wanted to say or to mm -hmm. do so just look at yourself a bit more take some time to self-observe and create more self-awareness and when you see where you are coming from who you really are that's the i dimension that i mentioned before dimension of yourself then you can really work on okay do, how, what does it mean now in my relationships with my people also in private life it's exactly the same thing you can apply that very well in your private life too but how can i relate to others in this authentic way where i just stay true to myself and what is my no-go areas you know defining that what is something that i will never want to do never because it's just totally against myself i don't do that even if I ask for it, if you get into trouble at work, I won't do that, for example. Create for yourself this field of authenticity. And then when you act out of that, and especially for young leaders, I think it's super important to start with that before they slip into this corporate persona thing where they are someone else at work, <laughs> which uh, older leaders are very much used to do every single day. Um, and to just give yourself that chance to be yourself. It's such a much, it's such a happier place for you than, than the place of not being yourself. And you will live your career in a totally different way than if you're not. There you go. All the difference in the world. That's a great wrap up you just gave. Uh, the one time, the, the only time I don't feel good on my belly is usually after Taco Bell night. So, you know, I don't know if you guys have, <laughs> do you guys have Taco Bell there in Switzerland? Yeah, we do sometimes, yeah. indeed. Yeah, that'll. <laughs> That'll make your belly hurt uh, the next morning. Uh, so uh, very inspiring message. Uh, tell us about some of the offerings you do on your website when you're coaching people, when you help people be better leaders, when they work with you. I believe you have a podcast, a free e-guide, and a few other things. Let's uh, get a, some plug-in for some of this stuff. Yeah. So I'm doing in-house trainings for leaders, for corporations. So if everybody, anybody wants to book me on these kind of trainings, I'm here. I'm also doing uh, courses for individuals. So you have like 90 minute sessions, very easy, not very expensive, really easy to go in and plug in and just start working on yourself, mm -hmm. offering these regularly. And what is really nice, I'm very excited about that. I'm starting a new podcast. Tomorrow's the first episode. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> it's called Leading Change Conversations. And it's a bit of an experiment because I will go through real cases with people 
who have a problem in leading change or leading, it's always leading people through change. It's always the people aspect in change. And where we try to solve that issue in 30 minutes and to come to one, two, three concrete action steps they can take actually mm. to get out of the situation. So yeah, and that's starting tomorrow. So you can also find that on my website or under leadingchangeconversations.com directly. There you go. Congratulations. It's a, it's a hell of a road. I think I, I don't even remember if I remember the first one. I know it's on Google somewhere uh, because we did on YouTube too. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's always fun to start and then uh, begin and then you end up down the road. So uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. It's been very insightful. Uh, give us the dot coms one more time to close as we go out. UlrikaSeminati.com. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the complicated one. Or leadingchangeconversations.com. It's maybe easier. It leads to my podcast page, which is on my website. So you can find me by that as well. There you go. Uh, well, thank you very much for coming on. It's been very inspiring, motivating, and uh, give us uh, new tips on being a leader. Thank you very much for having me. It was a great pleasure to speak to you. <laughs> it was a pleasure as well. Thank you very much to my audience for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Foss, youtube.com, Foss, linkedin.com, Foss. Subscribe to that big LinkedIn newsletter, the 130,000 group over there on LinkedIn as well. We love LinkedIn. It's such a great place. Chris Foss, one of the TikTokity and the ChrisFossFacebook.com. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>